Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everybody. Uh, welcome back to Podside. Uh, this is Pete once again. Uh, let's see, what's his name? What is that guy's name? Uh, Connor. Connor is uh, in the process of a move, so he's not going to be on today. Uh, but I have traded up. We have uh, Carlo Jaeger Rodriguez on the, on the line with us. And we're going to uh, continue our conversation about uh, crap books, uh, the things we read while we were going up and uh, various other sundries. Uh, how are you doing, Carlo? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Pete? I am okay. I am okay. I am having as much fun as you can have and still be in Kansas, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you got to set your expectations, right? I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> the, bar, the bar is as low as Kansas is flat. Yes, exactly. Uh all right, so uh, hold on, hold on. Okay. Oh, there it is. All right. Okay. Well, um, when when we last talked, we were going through uh, various books that meant a lot to us, and if if uh, if I'm if I'm piecing our discussions uh, together correctly, you actually sort of did a look back at like some of the 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 TSR franchise novels and some of the other things uh, since we last talked. Did, could, could you talk about that a bit or am I just off? No, no, you're good. I, I, I think that what we needed was previously on crap books. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, Jack Bauer uh, rushes to read another crap book. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was just, um, I, I had made like a little post uh, regarding like the annotations to the the conversation we had and remembering back like a couple of things that I'd forgotten like uh, the oh so questionably fantastic uh, Gord the Road book Rogue books that um, that be, actually I'm I, I think that that's what they were called informally I think they were called Greyhawk Adventures um, oh yeah and uh, written by none other than Gary Gygax himself and uh, set in Greyhawk, the world that he had created and basically had trolled all his, uh, his other players with, you know, with such things as um, invisible giant uh, gelatinous cubes that you can walk into and be digested immediately. Um, yeah, I, I, I get the feeling that Gary was a bit of a killer DM. Yeah, I don't. I think he came from the era of of uh, miniature war games. So the idea of of growing an emotional attachment to your character and expecting it to live through the journey just wasn't on his radar. So like, he was definitely a tomb of horrors kind of guy. I think <laughs> tomb of horrors is really troll of horrors is what that should that whole game should be called, man. I, I, it's, its whole function is to murder characters. Well, yeah, or or do weird like stuff that is not really. I think it would be questionable today, where it's like, uh, uh, do you remember uh, like one of the first rooms you you get to, and it has like this uh, gender switching uh, spell, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> and I'm like, why would that be a problem? And then I remembered, oh, first edition had like, oh, minus four to strength if you're a woman. And it's like, oh, come on, bro. <laughs> Come yes. on, man. Well, and I do remember, like, you know, there are all sorts of strange doors everywhere, and one of which is it's like a, a satyr's mouth, and you step in it, and that entryway is like a sphere of annihilation. Yeah, say goodbye to your character. For, yeah, just forever. Yeah, and, and like, from, from a narrative perspective, like, what you and I care about, like, 
that doesn't make any sense as a story. Like, why would you punish someone that way for walking through a door? But like, he didn't give a damn, or they, the writer, didn't give a damn. It's 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 all about setting up a series of traps and making your care your uh, your players cry. Yep, pretty much, pretty much. Or you know, like, oh, you Gary, you bastard! <laughs> funny, funny joke. As you're, as you're, like, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm laughing actually, rolling up another character in the background while the adventure keeps on going. Yep, exactly. And and hoping that he braids your characters in introduction as like somehow you were tied up and left inside the tomb of horrors, which is hard to get into anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tomb of Horrors could encompass uh, like it's like a, a whole episode of Podside Picnic, um, perhaps uh, uh, yeah, some gaming uh, version of it. But yeah, that that that. Oh my god! You know, we should do an episode where we do nothing but talk about modules. And I feel like I have I have a debt to people listening to this. Like, oh, I don't know my mom. And so uh, when you're playing a role-playing game like Dungeons and Dragons, you have these modules, which are basically like it's a map and a series of descriptions of rooms and scenarios. And the idea is you run other players through a module. And it's an adventure with usually a dungeon, monsters to kill, treasure, and all that. And this particular module is notorious because nobody ever gets through it successfully. And it's basically, it's like putting your character in a garbage disposal and turning it on. Like, like it, there's, there's no fun in it at all. And that's the fun. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, if people think that the video game Dark Souls is, like, a little much... You, you should really try to play this one. This is really it's set out to have the all the players lose. You know what would be fun? Taking the nameless one from Planescape Torment and putting him through the Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was going to ask you, it just occurred to me. Um, so, I, and, and I might have asked you this before, um, but... Did you ever have the um, the whole sort of D and D satanic panic happen in your household? Oh, um, my my parents were aware of the satanic panic, and I believe we had a discussion about it. And I think all they really wanted was reassurance that I wasn't going to sacrifice a baby in the woods. And once that was made clear, they were like, "Well, you know, uh, the the fact that you're reading as a hobby is not something we're going to stop." So that's that's interesting because and and this is this is a very interesting contrast because my parents um they heard about it secondhand. They weren't like following it. Um mm-hmm. they had a couple of um of colleagues at the sc- at the school where they worked, which just so happened to be the same school I went to, so fun times altogether. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's the and, worst. And then I guess those colleagues were either um, very Christian uh, or wanted to appear very Christian and let them know about it. And then weirdly, even though they didn't, um, let me put it to you this way. My mom was never a very religious person, but she somehow, this seemed like a dangerous thing to her. And I'm, I'm actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm actually wondering if me reading basically D&D and TSR novels wasn't like an outlet for basically not being able to play as often as I'd like. Um, mainly because, you know, it was considered sort of iffy and or dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's sort of like... And as you described it, it's just basically reading off these cues, sort of improvising, like, these reactions. It's it's really just not that. It's such a prosaic thing that I, I don't understand how someone who is not really that faithful would necessarily get worked up about it. But, you know, that's the way it works. Well, and I mean, I... There, there was definitely this this vein of attitude in 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 the Midwest where you wanted to make sure that your your son wasn't doing activities that would make him gay, and <laughs> I I could I could see uh, my parents getting concerned about me 
role-playing and building a pretend universe and going around in it with all my friends from that angle i mean it's still gibberish but at least there's a there's a you know fantasizing in something a little bit closer but satanism like it never made sense yeah yeah well you know it, it helps if you're a, a Pat Robertson and you have like a your own basic uh, satellite to transmit worldwide. Yeah, um, and, well, and, and, and and that you're in, apparently an un un uh, an unmedicated uh, crazy person. Yeah, well, and I think it all it all comes back to control. I'm guessing, like the Satanist thing, the the whole homophobia panic panic I was referring to at the same time. In some ways, I feel like it's not about the kids' choices at all, but it's very much about uh, grinding their nose into "I want you to grow up just like I did." Yeah, yeah, I, I could I could see that as well. I mean, it's it's definitely. Um the way I saw it was it was definitely something that um, my perhaps my parents didn't really get like what what you you make yeah. up stuff how do you win and that's <laughs> how do you win this game yeah. it's like because it's and they they couldn't seem to wrap their head around the idea that it wasn't like monopoly or some some game that they had a frame of reference for um and, and and weirdly, like um, I, I mentioned this mainly because uh, I, I honestly have to wonder if like um, and and I I don't have to wonder about the results. I, I actually ended up like reading a bunch of stuff that is tangential to role playing games, um, possibly because you know like like I said I, I couldn't. Um, you know, I couldn't go. They they would refi- refuse to drive me over to you know the, my friend's house because they were going to have a game. Um, that was the one thing that they could do actively. Uh, they couldn't really do anything about me reading, so that was okay. And yeah. uh, I do remember, like for instance, uh, I was just thinking about the, today that uh, if it hadn't been for that first edition D and D box set of Lankmar uh, and my buddy who had it told me oh this is based off of this these series of books and he gave me like uh, I believe it was I forget if it's is it swords against wizardry that it's the 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 were rat lady yeah it's that's that's wizardry or deviltry I can't remember I I always get those two mixed up um, yeah, well, that's because they're only one word off, man. <laughs> yep. Well, that, that that is true. That is true. Um, and and uh, and the craziness that that entire like that entire book is uh, bonkers. It really is. Like uh, from a queen were rat or princess were rat that is also an, an albino to the paragon animals. Um, yes. To uh, gray mouser being shrunk down uh, to rat oh, size. God. Yes, <laughs> and like he slept with her in a pretty ratty form. If I don't misremember that, uh, he slept with her in a half rat form, which is even more disturbing. <laughs> I will spare everyone the details because you can imagine it already. Um, and and let's not forget, like um, these these books are certain sorcery, very pulpy, and therefore also very horny. Um, oh, yes. And oh. and and granted, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, library is uh, very appropriately considered sort of like on notice, um, mainly because a lot of the uh, a lot of the the impetus for uh, the new adventure for Fafford and the Grey Mouser to get into was like basically fridging or uh, their their previous bows uh, in some horrible fashion and then that oh well i guess uh, we're we're single again i guess we have got to go <laughs> go on adventures again get more chicks yeah yeah it, it's the, the more i think about it the the nastier that is you know that reminds me of uh, I feel stupid even asking this this question, but I'm doing it for narrative purposes. Uh, have you read the Conan books? I, um, you know, I have not. I think I wow. read part of. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's it's a horrible, a horrible <laughs> blind spot in my um, pulp 
education, if you will. I find it hard to judge you, honestly. <laughs> it's what's I, I read them again recently, and there's some fascinating things in it that are just uh, appalling. Um, like one, like the gender politics are surprisingly good. Like the women are wildly co- competent. There's a number of female uh, sword fighters who are on a par with Conan. Um, the racism is bizarre because you have hyper competent black men who are also cannibals. <laughs> and yeah, and, and I just I've never been able to parse that down. And hey, the weirdest thing is the Cthulhu tie-ins. Well, uh, uh, Liber did that too. Um, yes, yes, he had. Um, there was an entire. I'm not. I'm. I'm blanking on exactly where it. Which of the the collections or books uh, it was, but they basically they're out on a ship and like this island appears out of nowhere and it. As you read it, if you know, you know. Um, it's, it's like it's, the Isle of Rhyme or something. Yeah, I believe so, and it turns out that it's it's really a um, rising up, and they're like, oh, <laughs> that's awesome. What what I'm trying to? Oh wow, I just had a memory. You know, one of the nice things about these is they aren't so much episodes as they are interesting conversations. You know, but uh, I I just remembered my first Lieber or Liber, I don't even know book was not one of the Mouser series. It was a story about how everybody is basically clockwork. Like, we're not sentient, and we're, we're all moving from thing to thing, and we're doing stuff, and it's predetermined. And if you manage to step out of it, uh, like, people can't see you, and it's like you don't exist, so you can run into a situation and grab someone's food, and they keep trying to eat the food like it's not there. Mm. It's like... And what, what it was this this situation where this uh, this woman goes into a pl- employment office and sits down, and these gangsters come over and start talking to her. And the employment guy's like, "That's a little weird." So he calls her over, and it turns out that the gangsters and the girl have broken free of the clockwork, and this guy just did too. And so by going over to him, she's tricking them into thinking that she's not, you know. Uh, like, like she, she's not free, so they leave her alone. And I, it's is that, such a, is that, um, I haven't read it, but I, I think I recognize the premise. Is that the big time? Yes, I think it is. I, uh, you know, while we talk, I'm going to Google this. And it was just such a weird concept to me, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, like it's a, it's a, if I'm not mistaken, they're like, uh, there's a, a, cosmos-wide time war that's happening it's yeah if i remember correctly the the premise sounds like really bonkers really yeah yeah well and he he is full of bonkers uh uh stories it's one of the things i like about him actually um there's a lot of things i don't like so long as we're on the subject but i I don't think there's any reason to get too harsh on him yeah Uh, yeah we're, we're, we're the, the the title of this episode is already crap book. So we, we <laughs> and and you know, uh, and, and to be clear to anyone who is uh, listening to this that does not know, <laughs> this is uh, out of love. We 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 read these books. We we did like them back in the day, and I'm not sure that they survived the test of time. Yeah, well, it, and it kind of bothers me. I don't want these things to, you know, be lost like tears in the rain. To to quote Blade Runner, it's 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 good. It's good to like they've given me a lot of enjoyment. They've given a lot of people a lot of enjoyment. And if you think about the books that survived three hundred, four hundred years at the time they were written, they were regarded as as shit. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I'm I'm not saying that these books were great. I'm just saying, like, you know, maybe. Maybe keep them on a shelf somewhere, you know? Right. Well, I mean, uh, I, I think I, I had a, a, a sort of like a weird epiphany years ago where I was like thinking, thinking, oh, you know, well, everyone talks about selling out, but like, you know, as selling out as a counterpoint to authenticity uh, for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And I'm like thinking to myself, but um, Shakespeare was like commercially successful in his lifetime. Like he was a sellout. <laughs> 
Like yeah. if you think of it in, that, in those terms, and he basically stole liberally from everyone before him. Um, I'm not saying that Shakespeare is the end all and be all, and if it doesn't speak to you, it doesn't speak to you. But you know, he's on the shelves for a reason. Right, right. It's like if if somebody says they aren't talent, he isn't talented. There, they either miss the point or he they're doing a bit. Like you don't have to like him. Mm-hmm. But there's there's some there's some amazing things there. Like I still go back to his sonnets sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think that there's something you know, given that we're sort of uh, sort of wandering into territories adjacent to the recent conversations uh, in the discourse regarding sci-fi and mm-hmm. fantasy. Um, I I think that there is something to be said about like having survivorship bias. You know, like the idea that oh well, Shakespeare is the best. Maybe. I mean, there is something to be said about him being white and cis and whatever, you know, well, in as much as we know anything about Shakespeare, which we sort of don't. Um, Yeah. uh, You know, he seems to have been a white guy. Um, You know, whiteness is preserved in the in the society, sadly. Um, And, you know, if there was some, you know, person of color in back in 1666 you know doing plays in london um he, you know they might not have gotten the platform that, that shakespeare did um yeah uh, well, so i mean there's something to be said about that but at the same time like we gotta you know we gotta work with what we got and uh and try to do better in the future and that's about as as much as we can do i don't know well yeah and i mean i think I mean, as as somebody who's been in like the narrow web, a wedge of privilege, like the whole way, like takes things I say with a grain of salt, of course. But I also would say that there's a difference between saying uh, maybe don't completely trust this person's point of view, maybe engage with it with with what did he miss and don't read this. Right. And often don't read this seems like a mistake to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's not necessarily... I mean, don't read it if, if it doesn't appeal to you, but give well, it a try. Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I think the issue that... Um, maybe not an issue. I think that the, the question... the Yeah, I think you just said what, what I meant to say, which is like, it gives stuff a try, but if it doesn't appeal, you know, it's it's not for you, that's fine. And and you know what else? If it doesn't, if it's not for you, no one else has to know about it. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There's no reason, and that's that's a conversation we definitely hinted around in in recent discussions and weird crap happening online. Um, I will say that um, one of the things I find disquieting, but not so much that I want to ever try and do anything about it, is that one of the things people do to, to try and correct thousands of years of, of uh, oppression is to tell you what you can like. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a fine line because the, the let people enjoy things can also be used to cover up a lot of stuff as well. Yes. So yeah. I think it's well, a fine that, line. I think I think the issue here is that it, you don't need to silence anyone, but you I think perhaps you could use your outside voice to praise something that you really like and use your inside voice to perhaps talk to friends and and people that you trust about like, well, you know, this didn't really do it for me or, you know, I found this to be, you know, not so great. Um yeah. And and also, you know, that is multifaceted in the sense that if it's somebody that's still living, um, you know, an artist still alive, you know, you're going to really affect their their bank if you are bad mouthing them um, publicly. Yeah. I, so, so I you, remember, oh, ahead, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Oh well, okay. There there is an author, uh, Robert Chilton. Uh, he's actually quite good. Uh, he wrote a lot of sort of horror fantasy humor books, and he wrote a book called Men Like Rats, which is basically an alien race starts using the Earth as a warehouse, and civilizations collapse to the point where, where humans are scrambling among the boxes of this alien species trying to survive. And I reviewed that book harshly, and I suspect it was because 
I was in a bad mood. And I always feel like I did him damage because I was a dick. And I don't know what to do about it at this point. You know what I mean? And like, that is a thing that people do all the time. And it's wrong. You know, it's like you can't just uh, engage with a book as a as a substitute for the other things you don't like. And it's something I see as often as I see valid criticism. Right. Well, I mean, I, I had I think I, fe- I feel that uh, same way about um, years ago. I, I was given the three body problem to review um, mm-hmm. and uh, there was like a lot that I that I found fascinating. But I I think that my review was sort of harsh because I wanted more of the stuff that I liked in the book rather than, you know, what the book was. So, you know, I think it's also a, it's, it's, it's a way it's hard to be, um, to sort of walk that line. And, And I don't really fault anyone for it. If they're, if they don't really respond to something, but you can, you know, Knowing what I know now, I wouldn't have done that necessarily. You know. So, um, can, can I tell you a story about uh, Damon Knight and A.E. Van Vogt? Go ahead. Okay, so Van Vogt was one of the... Well, I know you know this. I'm talking to the audience. So Van Vogt was one of the, the Golden Age writers who was really on a pedestal at the beginning of the Golden Age. Like, um, he had a lot of, a lot of the, the science he used in his works were things like Aristotelian logic or Euclidean geometry. Like he wasn't going deep, but he was doing things that people thought were uh, intellectually interesting. And there was a kid, I think he was 15 years old, who wrote a criticism into a magazine that just caught fire because everybody looked at it and was like, oh my God, that kid is right. And basically tore down um, how Van Vogt wrote pointed out it had no connection to actual current or real science, pointed out that he used the same characters in the same scenarios again and again and again. And that person was Damon Knight, who became a another science fiction writer that, that was big, like, right after the uh-huh. And I think about that a lot, because one of the things that happened is about a month after that firestorm started, Vogt stepped forward and said, you know what, I think he's right, my books aren't very good. And he basically didn't write new material after that. Damn. And I'm just like, that is brutal. I mean, but, but you know, that I think that we're, I, I don't think it's simply in, you know, like sci-fi and fantasy circles, but, you know, we, we do see it because we're part of, you know, we're, we're looking at that. And um, as the kids say, I guess uh, Damon Knight was clout chasing and he, and he got what he wanted. Oh, he caught a whale for sure. Um, but yeah, like uh, the other thing that I've been grappling with, and um, maybe you you had some of this, you know, back way back when for you, was uh, as I was like uh, sort of engaging with the discourse regarding you know what what's canon, what's not canon, so on and so forth. I was like thinking to myself, you know, like I I mentioned it in the previous episode that you know Puerto Rico didn't have a wide selection. So weirdly, and and given the sort of um, uh, narrow, uh, the narrowed selection uh, was also dictated by you know whatever sold very very well in the U.S. I ended up reading a lot of the very sort of cliched like starter stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, Lord of the Rings. Uh, Honestly, I think I started fantasy way before I started reading sci-fi. Um, just just to put that out there. And the only places where I was getting weirdly um, stuff that was not exactly very cliche, sort of very mainstream stuff was from the local comic book store. Uh, and that's where, you know, like, for instance, my second big phase of crap books was basically everything surrounding uh, the White Wolf imprint, uh, yes. specif- specifically like Vampire the Masquerade, you know, um, specifically they had like five different storyteller um, properties uh, the Vampire was the first one, Werewolves 
wraiths, mages, and fairies. Um, out Didn't of those, they do a mummies one too. They did have a mummy one. Uh, it was, I think that was like a soft cover. Um, uh, it it might have gotten a, a, a hard cover version later on, but um, but yeah, there was a mummy one. Um, there was all sorts of stuff. I mean, really, there was. It was a. It's really amazing as I was going over the, like the backlog, because um, I came in uh, in at uh, the the second edition of Vampire, and that's where it really took off. Like mm-hmm. the first edition did very well. It, I guess it did well enough to have a second edition, and um, <clears throat> and then the second edition is where it opened up into those five other ones, and uh, and then all of those had different. Uh, tie-ins and so on and so forth, but really, um, I, I, I by then I had sort of learned my lesson <laughs> regarding <laughs> TSR. So I, I sort of realized that one, you know, the vampire ones was where you know it was really fun. Uh, Mage was like a fan, just a a banana setting. Um, have I know that you've only experienced uh, Vampire Bloodlines, the video game, right? Yeah, I I had um, I had a Malkavian book and I had a Bruja book, but I don't like I don't know how they tied into anything and and like they didn't leave a mark because I didn't know a lot about the rest of the world when I read them. Yeah, you didn't have any connective tissue. Yeah, exactly. You you had like a a, a finger of one hand and a toe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the the well, rest of the elephant was not there. And the uh, Malkavian, as a result, was gibberish. Oh yeah, well for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would say that nowadays uh, I'm not entirely sure uh, if Malkavians as a uh, as a clan in the vampire uh, setting would necessarily work, given that um, I'm not entirely sure that their representation of of mental illness is is really useful. Uh, but I, I don't know. What this has occurred to me as well. Yes. So, uh, what do you have? Like a favorite author, or a favorite book, or a favorite story from the White Wolf? Um, you know, um, White Wolf. Uh, the like I was saying, the two settings that really stood out to me uh, were Vampire and Mage. And in Vampire, the the true, true the the book that was true to this title, to our episode's title, was Blood Relations. <laughs> that sounds zesty, dude. <laughs> and um, uh, apart from the, the the awful pun in the title, um, I I believe, and I'm going to paraphrase here because I'm pretty sure I'm butchering it already. I believe it's attributed to Neil Gaiman, where he said that if you want to learn about writing, you learn more reading a bad book than a good one. Interesting. And, yeah, and oh boy, did I learn a lot from this book. So, I mean, I, I get now what he meant. I, I understood at an intellectual level uh, what he meant at the time, but now I really know what he means. And it's basically, have you ever had like someone uh, hand stitch you like a, a shirt or a jacket and they're not, it might have been their first or second try at doing that pattern? Yes. <laughs> this is the thing that's happened to me. Yeah, yeah. So you see all the stitching. You see where it could have, where it could have been better. Where you know stuff is sticking out where it shouldn't, or you know something, something's wrong with it. It doesn't look like a regular jacket. Um, and this is sort of the same. I'm going to use this belabored metaphor for for writing. You know, like when you read a bad book, like a book that is has definite flaws, you notice them. Uh, whereas if it's Written by, you know, written rather competently, you can perhaps forgive certain flaws or think that there's an intentionality behind them. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this this book was completely ridiculous. Um, it, it basically the first, I would say, third of the book before the actual adventure, if you will, gets started is this uh, malcontent uh, character who just basically rides downtown. Wearing uh, on his motorcycle, wearing a nice jacket, like a nice leather jacket, uh, basically spoiling for a fight. And I'll never forget, uh, basically, 
like he he would stop and sort of taunt uh, some dummies on the corner and um, and the obviously downtown vampires are like nice jacket pretty boy and uh, he turned around and said you want to come and take it uh, so oh. yeah it's it's not good. <laughs> Yeah, that hurts. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 really it's really. Uh, I I should probably try to revisit it at some point just to see, but uh, I I honestly I, I sort of gritted my teeth and finished it way back when, and I don't know if I want to do that again. I get it. So, um, oh, go ahead, sir. No, I, I was just going to say that um, the the ones that really stood out for me and that White Wolf was putting together was later on down the line, um, not the speci- maybe not not the uh, the vampire ones and the the werewolf ones were that wasn't really my thing, so I didn't bother with it. Uh, the mage ones were so bonk. The the premise of mage was so bonkers, given that it's so. Mage, basically what made you a mage was that you were able to alter reality. Um, and you know, that's what a mage does. Uh, and you had certain certain sort of a, uh, spheres of um, of influence, if you will, you know. Um, but the thing was that it was set in the this is the most 90s thing ever. It was given that it's set in the modern modern day. Mm-hmm. The mages are very constrained because the collective unconscious will reject blatant uses of magic. So you had to figure out some plausible deniable, you know, like some plausible deniability for what you wanted to do. So, for instance, you couldn't just like if you're in a hot pursuit car to car and you wanted to fire. Uh, a lightning bolt at the pursuer's car to just overwhelm the electrical system, that would be blatant and you would immediately be punished by the universe because it would clap back at you. Um, and uh, But if you were to say, well, you know what, I'm going to use my um, forces, which was the, the uh, applied to all ty- types of forces that we know nowadays, um, I'm going to use my force power to then overwhelm the electrical system in the car. And uh, apparently they didn't check it uh, last time they went for, took the the car into the garage and uh, loose wire just like touched everything else. And it immediately shorted out the entire electrical system. And, you know, that's how you would sort of improv your way into, and granted the, the storyteller could accept that or not. But given that the the impetus on the storyteller games was more dramatic, like it was more as you can t- as you can see story driven, um, uh, the impetus was generally or the incentive was generally to let the player decide something, and either you know unless it's like super out of out of whack, you would go ahead with it. You would just roll with it because it makes the story move. Right. Um, so anyway, the the point being that Mage was sort of like one of these completely nineties. Like, imagine if magic were the idea of nudging. You know that economic <laughs> nudging idea, but yeah. but but with magic and reality, that's exactly what that is. Sort of, you have to have a synchronicity with certain things, and and you have to figure out ways to convince reality to cooperate with you with what you want to happen. So uh, they came out with a, an anthology called Truth Until Paradox. And Paradox was the, the backlash that the universe gave you um, if you tried to be blatant about your magical abilities. Um, and uh, Truth Until Paradox was a really interesting uh, collection of stories. Um, I think uh, we had discussed uh, the Silver Nutmeg, Golden Pear, and Grim Reminders. I think it was the the... The two stories that sort of um, complement each other, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I remember rereading these recently, and they're not great. I mean, the, the, the prose is fine; it's it's very uh, workmanlike, but obvi- they're obviously having a lot of fun, and uh, as a result, you know, I had a lot of fun rereading it, and it, so- and it was pretty. 
um, it, it didn't make me cringe too much either. You know, like uh, it didn't feel out of date or anything like that. So you, you linked me to a passage of, of Golden Pear, and I've been reading through it. And you know what's funny? I had no idea of the connection. I was just, oh. I was enjoying it as a read. I had no idea of its title, White Wolf or anything else. <laughs> well, there you have it. I mean, did you did you like what you what you read? Yeah, I do. It, it's it's funny because like in the '90s, certainly the early '90s, one of the things that was incredibly important to me was to be the guy with the leather jacket and the biker boots being cool. Like we talked a little bit about the vampire, the masquerade people that you saw around, or the goth people you do in the middle of uh, Puerto Rico with crushed velvet and lace boiling alive in the hot sun and yes it's whoever wrote this had a similar experience i think because he was very interested in the idea of goth and and magic and how people would just sort of build construct their lives around it and i mean it was convincing to me i liked it yeah i i found uh, like for instance penny dreadful to be a very Sort of a, a relatable, uh, if not necessarily likable, but very relatable character. And and th- I feel like this is a great example of how you could show someone sort of um, quirky or maybe not quippy exactly, but definitely funny dialogue without it being Whedonist. Yes, yes. It, it's, it feels pre-Whedon, but it's certainly non-Whedon, which is refreshing in somebody trying to talk in a modern way. Like I, uh, I, I, it is fairly easy for me to defend what Whedon has done to conversation in the culture, because like what was happening before wasn't always great, but to Mm -hmm. see anything else is so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that I found that I think that now that I think about it, I, I hadn't really articulated that thought until I just thought it now, but perhaps that was why it was, it was so much fun to read it because it didn't feel, it feels like you're reading something that has not gone through the last 20 years of Whedon's sort of dominance in the culture. Like this is pre, pre Whedon nerdiness. Yeah, and it's it does feel like we're giving him too much credit in a way, but like it does feel like he he cast a spell on everyone's brains, and they all have to write that way now. Well, if if you want, I mean, this is not science fiction in any way, shape, or form. But if you want to hear, you want to listen to someone that uh, sounds or has a similar style, but will just drive you just. Your 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 brain will boil out of your skull. Just go watch The West Wing, and uh, at God. least at least Joss Whedon understood that if you had people talking like that, if they were young and good looking, you would forgive a lot. Okay, so it's like warty forty year olds doing that in West Wing. In other words, it's yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, like, um, and and just to go back to the White Wolf thing is that, for instance, um, the really funny thing, and I don't know, I think maybe some of the other indie games did it, but this was the first time I saw it, was that, uh, I forget if it was like at the end of the introduction or at the end of the book, they had uh, like a, a, a list, like a little bibliography, like... Um, we, if you are interested in other books that gave you gave us the feeling of Vampire the Masquerade, mm-hmm. these are the books. Um, these are the movies. We listen to this music, you know that type of thing. Um, and, and it was really the first time I had, because they're really going for a mood as well as a story. Because their whole the the whole um, white like specifically the storyteller series vampire and whatnot, th- they wanted to really drive home that they were going for gothic punk, which um, you know. <laughs> I mean, their their thing was it was like they uh, I guess a bunch of people that um, that wrote there came from like the Midwest, and they made the Rust Belt like a big sort of uh, metaphor for. For like, you know, like it wasn't necessarily, there was a prince in Chicago, like the Prince of Vampires in Chicago, but his his influence extended into Gary, Indiana, you know, and Gary is just falling apart because, you know, 
everything's all the jobs are gone and it was it seemed very um prescient if you think about it now <laughs> yeah no it doesn't sound wrong so i have a proposal for you carlo um, I'm sort of taking a look at the link we've recorded and the the attention span of our viewers, and I'm thinking we should do a crap books three. And here's here's my proposal: I get you a name or a link to a shadow run book, and you do the same with uh, with the White Wolf, which I think you've basically done with the the, the Penny Dreadful stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, let's 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 meet again and talk about those another time. Would you be up for that? Yeah, return of crap book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just never going to end, man. We're going to have a spin-off cast. Well, you know, it, it's it's all reboots and re- it's all sequels and and reboots these days, so why not? Oh, I love the slush pile so much. Like the the I I won't go deep into this episode because coming soon, but like those Shadowrun books, there's like 35 they just chunked them out like they were making cookies. And, like, I could read every one in a row. They're just, like, uh, effortless candy, you know? Mm, I gotcha. Well, I mean, I think that the Shadowrun had a lot of... Um, it, it, honestly, it had a lot going for it. Um, like, the whole idea of magic and cyberpunk happening at this sort of concurrently. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. You, you could jump back and forth between, depending on what made the narrative move. And there was all sorts of transformational moments. Like there was an epi- like there was this thing called the change where people uh, like became the different things. So like some people woke up and they were orcs or whatever. And so they, they did a lot with that, like people becoming orcs during the change or doing it later or what somebody was like when they woke up one day and they were a troll and fitting all of that into the rope. Like there's, it's just, I liked it. That's all I'm saying. No, I, I, I liked it. I remember reading it. It's the, it was the playing of the game that sort of, <laughs> sort of killed it for me. Oh <laughs> so many, God. so many dice. Oh my God. Um, it, 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 it just was, a, it, it felt like a first edition of a game. When I when I read it, and uh, it, it it definitely suffered from a lot of too many rules, not enough flow. Yes, yes. I mean, there, there's definitely there, there's there's sort of a fork in the road when it comes to role, role playing games. And some people were like, "Well, in order to get the weirdness out, we just need to write everything down." And then another group of people said, "Well, in order to solve the problem, we've just got to relax." And the the relaxers had it right. Yep, pretty much. Um, what was I going to say? So anyway, um, I, I, I'm all about it. Let's, uh, let's go check that out. And, uh, I'm going to leave you with, um, the, the, the thing that I'm reading right now that, uh, or that I was finishing up reading right now, which was a, from one of the, the late White Wolf anthologies, okay. uh, which was called Borderlands, uh, Borderlands one. Uh, I think they they ran one through five and, um, of, these were really interesting because they were sort of dealing with the same sort of supernatural um, universe, like the World of Darkness idea, but perhaps at a remove. So it wasn't like branded, like there weren't any clans or anything like that. And um, I'm currently reading uh, Mussolini and the Axeman's Jazz by Poppy Z. Bright, who stood out to me because um, Poppy Z. Bright wrote one of the strangest and um, most disturbing vampire books that I read uh, that I'd seen in the Vampire the Masquerade uh, bibliography, which is called Lost Souls. Um, I still don't know how I feel about that book, to be honest with you. (laughs) It's very very grimy. Um, It's obvious that uh, Poppy has had uh, lots of brushes with, like... Uh, perhaps uh, the the underbelly of the culture in in New Orleans, and uh, as someone like nowadays, where I can articulate it a little better, like the, uh, I, I think um, they decided to um, set it all in New Orleans. So obviously, that is a big big plus for uh, what is it like at least three quarters of our of our oh, it's <laughs> listeners. Insane. Yeah. 
like if if you're not in New Orleans, you're you. I, I guess you could be in Philadelphia, but otherwise, you're definitely in Canada. Like those are your options. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but but the the funny thing is, I I was just thinking about it today. I was like, holy shit, dude! Like now I understand why I felt so confused about it because basically, um, Poppy Seabright was writing about a New Orleans that's like just decadent and just falling into decay. It's best years are behind it it's not getting any better and it might all just sink into the into the sea or whatever or into the swamp and i'm thinking holy shit dude i was relating to this because that's puerto rico (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah Yeah. like sitting there like a, a, a decaying sort of place that is slowly just whittling away and i mean and there's still fun to be had i'm not saying that you, you can't have fun but it's a different tenor you know it's definitely much more melancholy and um and as such like the characters especially in in lost souls and and in um uh i think there was another one that i read in the uh the the compendium of the weird that mm-hmm. the vandermeers did um and i'm blanking on the name right now but uh that had like this these characters that are just trying to be like surpass the the their environment and therefore they're partying too hard like desperately hard so it sounds really interesting oh no i'm just saying it sounds really interesting man uh so the 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 one that I'm reading right or that I was reading right now is uh, the and I'll repeat the the title the Mussolini and the X Men's Jazz mm-hmm. and the one line that I was like reading and I was like holy shit this is hilarious um, a spectral Duke Ferdinand uh, appears to the one of the characters and uh, he's trying to explain to him that he's not a ghost and he says sir I'm a wraith. There's class structures involved, <laughs> and I I just couldn't. Holy shit, dude! That is so funny. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not a lowly ghost, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, I I can't recommend that one enough. Like Borderlands is generally pretty great, and uh, that story was like one of the few that stood out to me. Uh, shout out to Joe, uh, who uh, understood exactly what I was talking about when I talked about the X Man. Awesome. Okay, well, I will try and dig that one up. Um, oh, for, for our next one, I'm going to recommend Tom Dowd's Burning Bright to you. And I think that's all I'm going to say about it here. We'll, we'll see if anybody picks it up. Who knows? And uh, let's let's do this again next month if you, if you have time, man. Sure thing. Okay. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>